in 2023, we're believing God for miracles that will testify of his love and power so we can know him and let him be known. All right. Well, man, I am so excited. So we are a part of a group of churches called Every Nation, and there's an incredible church in Washington, D.C. called Grace Covenant Church where Pastor Jim Critcher, he's the executive pastor there. He operates in the prophetic also and, and ministers in the prophetic there at that church and really around the world. And it's about, it's been probably uh, several years that we've tried to get him to Luminous and, and it's been a long journey, but he finally made it. And so he has a powerful word this morning. And then he'll also be back tonight at our Engage the Spirit ministering tonight. And so that's going to be very special and you won't want to miss it. But would you stand on your feet one time and give it up for Pastor Jim Critcher as he comes shares the word this morning. I had to figure out how to get up here. <laughs> good to see you, man. All right. Good morning. Wow. I'm glad I don't have the microfilm. I mean, this is the lights. It's wonderful. Yeah, it has taken a moment to get here. Um, I know that Pastor Ben and myself have been chatting about this for at least three years. And then that pesky little, you know, coronavirus came through and that shut, shut everything down. And, but it is a delight to be here. It truly is. And, and, and let me say that I, I so believe that God's timing is always perfect. Would you, believe, would, you, would you agree with that with me? Now, could I say that in my imperfection, it's hard for me to get my head around that. But being an old guy now, and I'm, 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 I'm officially an old guy. Yes, I have four grandchildren, all right? The oldest grandchild is 13 years old, if you can imagine that. I can't. But nevertheless, but looking at looking back at various stages of my life where it seemed like things were in such delay and then looking back from the perspective of history realizing the perfection of God's timing in laying everything out amen and we've come out of an of, of an amazing time uh, you know it seems almost trite to talk about the last three years but we really have to look at the last three years understanding how God prepares a people. And in this case, not just one people in one place, but how God has been preparing globally for an outpouring that he is doing in this moment that is without precedent. Now, I want you to hear something carefully today. Because this series on miracles that we just came out of that was global in our every nation world, let me say to you that it is also part and parcel of what I believe that God is doing by his spirit on the planet in this moment. Isaiah, the ninth chapter, says the people walking in darkness. How many of you know that over the past three years or so, we've been walking in a type of darkness? Somebody make some noise so I know you're out there. Thank you. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, how many of you have felt that shadow cross your life? Let me just tell you, if you are in a church, if you've been pastoring a church, 
I mean, listen, we've all felt what that is. But listen to this. A light has dawned. You've enlarged the nation. Hear this. Increase their joy, and they rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. This past three, three and a half years has been a prologue. That word prologue, it means an event that sets up another event. In February of 2020, I was in a leaders meeting and began to prophesy, and this was before we really knew the extent that this virus was going to have, and I prophesied God is about to use this event to plow open the nations, plow open the church, and open furrows for the seed of the gospel and for the reign of revival to fall in. And that is exactly the moment in which we find ourselves. Elijah, Mount Carmel, 1 Kings 18. This amazing moment, but remember, it was the same Elijah, 1 Kings 17, that said, no more rain, no more hydration on the land except at my command. And in that moment, he goes, he begins to pray. Now, this is a period of three, three and a half years And if you like this kind of thing, please note the correlation between the three-year period, three-and-a-half-year period that we've all come out of. We've all come out of some type of similar drought. And Elijah begins to pray, and he says, I hear the sound of heavy rain. And I want to let you know, ladies and gentlemen, that men and women around the world are hearing the sound of a heavy rain. We're beginning to see clouds the size of a man's hand beginning now to get larger and larger and larger. I don't know if you got these pictures or not, but can you show the first one if you did? Ah, sorry for the the pixelation there, but this is a picture, and by now, this is news. This was Asbury College, February of 1970. 1970. My wife's brother was a student in this revival. He was actually going to Asbury at the time. And if you would now show the next slide, this is a picture of Asbury College over the past two weeks. This is a revival that is now broken out. And now all of the missiologists and the theologians are trying to decide, is this a revival? Is it awakening? Is it real? Is it this? Is it that? Can we just call it what it is? Can we just call it revival and just let it sit there? And this is something now that has not only affected just one college, but now this wind is beginning to blow from campus to campus to campus. And let me just tell you, it is. It is. While it might seem what possibly good can come out of Wilmore, Kentucky, Asbury College, let me just tell you, It's the beginning of something global. And ladies and gentlemen, I need you to hear something. God has chosen you and me and this generation to steward this outpouring. I want you to hear that. 
And regardless of, of, of how insignificant, how, quote, unspecial you might feel this morning, let me just tell you, God said now. And he said, you and me to steward what might be the greatest global outpouring of God's spirit in generations. And here we are. Here we are. Tonight, I'm going to talk more about this, but how then do we steward this? How, how, how do we learn how to run in this reign of the Spirit? Luke chapter 2, Simeon, and we usually preach out of Luke at Christmas, but if you remember this man, his CV was very, very simple. The Holy Spirit was upon him. You remember Simeon, this old dude, kind of creepy stalker kind of guy, hanging around the temple, and Mary and Joseph come to dedicate their child, and this old dude comes to take the kid. Now, how many of you know you get arrested today? You know what I'm saying? And, and he looks, and he realizes this is the Christ. This is what he's been waiting to see his entire life. And he says, God, you can now dismiss your servant. Because I've seen the consolation of Israel. I was at a conference lat two years ago. A conference my wife and I have ministered in for 25 years. It's in Maui, Hawaii. Somebody has to do it. So just pray for us. Somebody has to go to Maui. All right. Amazing church there. But one of the men that ministers in this conference, an old seasoned man of faith, now is his late 80s and traveled with William Branham as a, as, a, as a young man, truly a just incredible man of God. Met his wife, and she was a teenager. She had leukemia. He laid hands on her. She got healed, and then they got married. I guess if you, you know, heal somebody from leukemia, your wife is, she's obligated to marry you at that point. But amazing man of God, and God spoke to me. I believe this was in, hath been 21. He said he's got cancer, and it's serious. Got word back about a month later that he did indeed have cancer. This was a man 89 years old. Now, most of the time, if you're 89 years old and you get a diagnosis like that, they pat you on the head and they pretty much just say, we'll keep him comfortable. You've lived a good life. Not this guy. He showed back up in 2022 cancer-free. Cancer-free. That would be a response on your part right there. And he got up and he testified. He said, God told me I would not die until I saw the first fruits of this next revival. That God is keeping this man alive. That he could see with his own natural eyes what you and I are now experiencing. Amen? Matthew 25 I want to quickly this morning look at a couple of passages of Scripture, one out of the New Testament, one out of the Old. You know both of them well, so I'm not going to read the passages, but just reference them. The first is in Matthew 25. It's, a, it's two parables in this chapter. We'll look at the first of the two. It's about the ten virgins. Now, you know this. These ten virgins, they're waiting for the bridegroom. And five bring extra oil, five don't. The word goes out. The bridegroom is, it, it, they, they all fall asleep. The word goes out around midnight that the bridegroom is here. And the five say, the five that didn't bring oil say to the five that did bring oil, 
give us some of yours so we won't run out. And they say, nope, go to Walmart, buy some for yourself. And so in the ensuing period of time, what happens? The bridegroom shows up. The five that were prepared went in. And sometime later, the five that had gone out to purchase oil, they knock on the door. And the door is closed to them. Now, we know that this is, this is a passage about salvation. But if you'll allow me to prophetically apply it this morning, I think there's some things that we can learn from it. Let me say that as we talk about oil, I have a very unsatisfactory relationship with oil. My wife and I, I think every young couple at some point has a car that's given them, right? It's, otherwise, we'd all be walking. And so back in the day, back in the 1970s, before God invented minivans, there were these things called station wagons which were these land yachts, the best way I know how to put it. And my wife and I had an Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser. Now, you don't even know what an Oldsmobile is, first of all. It was the General Motors brand. But the Vista Cruiser, the way, I know that, the 70s show, that was the, that was the car, all right. But my wife and I had one of those. And so it was around Christmas, and I noticed a red light had come on on my dash. And I thought, how special that General Motors would build this feature in that Christmas lights would come on on the dash. You know, this is great. So we're on the way to church one Sunday morning, and the best way that I know how to put it, this unearthly, demonic growl, this death rattle, began to emerge from underneath the hood of my car. It was terrible. And the car just said, and it just gave up the ghost right there. Now, I don't know if, it, if, if cars go to heaven or hell. I'm not sure. I said some nasty things about the car at that moment. I may have cursed it. I'm not sure. But kind of went off to the side of the road, and there we were. It didn't make it to church that Sunday. Following week, I had the car towed. We had a mechanic in our church. And I went, and I said, Kenny, what's 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 going on with my car? You know, you're thinking, ah, you know, we can put a whatever on it. It'll cost you 80 bucks. And you, so he, he said, come here. And he handed me, Pastor, he, he handed me this, this, this glob. He said, this is the oil out of your oil pan. Now, ladies and gentlemen, if you don't know, you're not supposed to handle oil in a glob. Oil is intended to be viscous, liquid, moving through all of the parts of the engine. But he handed me my oil. And my engine just said, we're done. We're done. You see, I don't know whether I thought fairies did this or the Holy Ghost did, but somehow that the oil would just always be there. I had no idea that there was some response on my part to check my oil. And that is the title of this message this morning is check your oil. Back to our parable for a moment. We find in both groups here qualification. They were virgins. We find both groups having the same word, the revelation, the information, the bridegroom is coming. They were in the right place at the right time. 
Both groups shared all of this together. Both groups got weary and fell asleep in the waiting. How many times do we get weary in the waiting? Both groups did this. And yet, only one group was able to participate on the basis of one thing, preparation. I'm going to give you a definition, and I'm going to come back to it in a moment. But many times, we define and we confine faith as just being expectation. That if I can believe a thing, if I can expect a thing, if that, that somehow that defines faith, could I say it's an incomplete definition? Faith is expectation plus preparation. That's a biblical definition, I believe, of faith. Ladies, how many of you, when, you know, you realize that you were with child, and you know, the, the weeks are growing, and, 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 and things are getting larger, and you get to the hospital, and you have the baby, okay? See, that's how men perceive this whole problem, okay, all right? Except when evil Dr. Lamaze decided that the men needed to be there. Remember that? I mean, we used to be, have to be able to sit out there in the other room, right? They used to bring us the you know, little burrito through the glass. Not anymore. They drag us in there for all that. So it's, it's not that. But how many look around at their husband when you realize that you've got to go and say, well, what are we going to do with a little burrito when we get him home? Well, I guess we'll get a box. No. You've been Pinteresting and targeting, and you've been making elaborate preparations for the burrito for months. You know what I'm talking about. It's not a matter of, oh, the baby's here. Now what do we No. You've been making preparation. Why? Because you've had the manifestation. You've been pregnant with something. What are you pregnant with today? Is there any preparation in your life, my life, the life of the church? To prepare that which God is doing in this moment. But we need to ask and answer some questions. And whether this is renewal, revival, awakening, and just for the sake of brevity, I'll use the word revival this morning. But what does it look like? Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. Yes, there was a prophecy of Joel. Your sons and daughters would prophesy, your old men, etc., and so forth. But you know, there were some things that were omitted from what happened at Pentecost. Now, this was, of course, one of the, one of the, 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 the festivals of Israel. They're gathered there doing what they've done, you know, year after year after year. And yet, in this moment, it said, like the sound of rushing wind, tongues of fire, there is nowhere in the law and the prophets that these manifestations are recorded. There's nothing that we know about in Hebrew oral tradition that said this is how the Holy Ghost will show up when he comes. And yet, that's exactly what he did. Do you realize that many times we tend to miss what God is doing based on an expectation that we have crafted in our imagination? It may not be biblical. 
Maybe it's an expectation that's based on history. We'll talk about that in a moment. But what if the way that God is going to move in this outpouring is not within your expectations and my expectations? And there are always a couple of groups. There's a group that gets it, and there's a group that stand off to the side and say, they drunk. And this is going on right now. I've been reading the ink about this Asbury revival. It's amazing the folks, just like that second group at Pentecost, that are stepping back and saying, can't be. Why? On the basis of expectation. Oh, my goodness. In the mid-1990s, I was pastoring a church in North Carolina. God began to come through, and we had this incredible mess People begin to stop, drop, roll, laugh, run. I mean, it was, it was mm, out of control a little bit. In my mind, anyway, you know what I'm saying. And we had folks that were standing back during that move of God saying, can't be God. These manifestations are not recorded in the Bible. Therefore, they can't be the Lord. Now, hear me carefully. I'm not saying that we go extra biblical. I'm not saying that we disagree with God's written word, but how many of you know that we can't, God did not inscripturate every way that he might move and pour himself out. One theologian said it this way, as it regards to the Holy Spirit, never say never and never say always. And once you think you've got it figured out, God will shift about one degree and your theology goes and you get to rebuild it all over again because this is how big God is. Amen? And one of the great challenges, I believe it was Leonard Ravenhill that said this, one of the great challenges for the church, especially Pentecostals, is that we think we know so much about God and the move of God that we are at the greatest danger of missing the next great move of God. Isn't that true? There are churches up and down the thoroughfare here, big neon sign kind of churches that think, surely God's going to fall here. We've got our theology right, our pneumatology right. We've got our practice right. Let me just tell you, it may or may not be how and where God falls. So what if it doesn't look quite right? I want to submit to you today that I think that our definitions perhaps are both inadequate and inaccurate. And why is that? Well, let's take a look at the churches for a moment. In a largely narcissistic, special snowflake culture, <laughs> smile when you say that, we have created a very narcissistic, man-centered, special snowflake gospel to go along with it. I think you would agree with that. That much of these holy pulpits have turned into therapeutic moments to tell you how special you are and for God to come and make you even more special in your own eyes. You know it to be true. And in this narcissistic culture, we package everything as to how it brings personal benefit to you and to me. Now, what if, let me just throw this out as, as a supposition this morning. What if this next move of God doesn't personally 
benefit you. Stay with me. What if this next move of God actually costs you more rather than costing you less? Will we still call it God? Do you realize that for years now, decades, the greatest numerical revival in history has been occurring? China. We just don't see it on the news. We can't. But through primarily the house church movement, Millions, if not billions, of Chinese have come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Against what backdrop? Horrendous persecution. And yet, one cannot deny that God is doing this in that place, in this moment. And yet, the personal benefit to the believer, let me tell you, when they make a decision for Christ, it's not one of these. They realize the commitment they just made might cost them everything. Let me tell you, the depth of, the depth of, uh, of discipleship, oh my goodness. So what if this doesn't benefit us the way we think it's going to benefit us? Just a thought. There are going to be unique aspects to this outpouring. It's not going to happen when, how, and where we think. God's going to fall on places that we don't expect. And not necessarily on the big churches and the big ministries who warm themselves at the fires of success and likes. The Asbury revival of both 1970 and of 2023, what's remarkable about this was the lack of celebrity, the lack of personality, that accompanied this. As a matter of fact, one report says it was spontaneous after a chapel, no central personality, worship, repentance, salvations, reconsecrations, etc. In other words, everything that we've been, cho- we've been taught to do in our ecclesiology, none of it was in place. It was just, in both cases, some college students that decided to just hang out for a moment. Here's an old Pentecostal word, Terry. (laughs) Just hang out. And then God said, right here, right now, with these two or three students, I'm going to do something. And we might look at a church like Luminous and say, you know what, we're not one of the big neon sign churches. I mean, certainly God, you know what, guess what? You are ideally positioned and poised. To be one of those points of light that God is going to pour himself out upon. Wow. Wow. And we need to be careful that we don't miss the day of visitation because the external circumstances don't seem to align. Many of us drank the Kool-Aid of institutional revival. That's a word that I've, I've sort of coined. Maybe, maybe some of you have heard about the seven mountains of influence, something that was crafted over the past 30 or 40 years, that this, these, are, these are places, be it government, education, industry, whatever, 
where God wants to come in and be Lord over. Now, I don't, I don't disagree with that because at some point, every knee will bow. Somebody say amen to that. But if we're looking that all seven of these mountains of influence are somehow going to come under the lordship of Christ before we can affirm revival, could I suggest to you I'm not convinced that's how God's going to do it. Many of us drank the Kool-Aid going all the way back to 1980. Moral majority, Dobson, Shafley, Reagan, thinking that somehow God is going to Christianize the entire culture. Well, I hate to be cynical, but how's that working out for you? I don't know about you, but I don't see it. And what I'm talking about is not that God is coming to just sweep across and just instantaneously change it all, but they're going to be points of light. This church, this group. And let me say to you, I, had a, I, was, I was preaching at a conference in Europe. This was years ago. And Europe's been kind of given up on as the dark continent. God can't do anything in Europe. And I saw these thousand points of light begin to go off, little, like little, little twinkling Christmas lights. He said, that's what it's going to look like. And let me say to you that it's going to be so specific that even people sitting on the same row are going to experience this differently. You ever been in a service where all of a sudden, you have been transported into the heavenlies and been on the sea of glass, and you know you walked with the with the cre- four creatures. You know, you know you, you've had this amazing spiritual experience, and the person next to you, they're checking texts. You, you know what I'm talking about. And so the question is, are we going to be one of those points of light, or are we going to be checking texts? So, what do we do? What do we do? Once again, expectation plus preparation. And I'll close with this. And this will be the world's longest closing. (laughs) Fourth chapter of 2 Kings, we find another story that you've heard preached perhaps many, many times before. But the widow of a prophet has run out of resource, finance. And in those days, you didn't get a chapter 7, 11, 13, 17, 23. What, you didn't get to file bankruptcy. They just came and they got your children and sold them into servitude. And the prophet Elisha comes. He says, what do you have in your house? And she initially responds, nothing. But then thought, eh, better not lie to a prophet except a little oil. Prophet thought, now we got some. He gives her some instructions of preparation. Get your boys, get out of the four walls, and go find all the empty containers from your neighbors that you can find. She did so. And she comes back and she closes the door and she's there with her, with her, with her kids. And she begins to pour out this little bit of oil. It's like, how does this work? And in obedience, she began to pour, just, just, just like the prophet told her to do. And the oil kept coming. And one container got full. She said to her, get another one. She kept, kept coming. Get, get more. 
And you know the story. As long as there were empty containers, what happened? Come on. Oil kept flowing. But when the containers got full, the oil stopped. Then the prophet says an amazing thing. He says, sell the oil, pay off your debts, and you can live on what's left. Now stay with me here. And I want to give you four things in closing of how we can prepare to receive. The first is running on empty. We live in a FOMO culture, but I, I would submit to you that more than FOMO, that we live in a row culture, which is not just the fear of missing out, it's the fear of running out. It's why God made Costco <laughs> and Amazon Prime and how some of you are still using toilet paper from, you know what I'm talking about, finally went through it all, did you? But the fear of running out, and yet we live in a day where if we get a little rumble or grumble, we've got a Starbucks or a McDonald's, you know, every, every 300 feet, and as Christians, we begin to rebuke the devil. Pashunda, I rebuke you, devil, over this hunger. And yet my Bible says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be what? They will be filled. And listen to me, kids. Nothing tastes good when you're already full. You know, somebody could be ready to buy you a $65 steak from Morton's, but if you pulled into Mickey D's and filled up on French fries and chicken nuggets, the $65 steak is more like... Not even good. Listen to me. Don't ever underestimate how God will empty a man or a woman to prepare for himself or his purposes. Don't kid yourself. It's terrifying. And many times we get in that process of being emptied and we, we, we think it's the devil. But it's not. It's God saying, son or daughter, I'm making room for more of me in your life. I'm going to remove some things first. And God will turn us upside down. Why? Because God is not a God who will ever compete for time, space, or attention or affection. He won't do it. First few commandments, thou shalt have no other gods, no graven it. Why? God said right in the beginning, I'm not competing. And if you don't think God won't do it, just check out a little book in the Bible that I wish weren't there called the book of Job. God's own testimony about Job. Have you considered my man Job over here? There's no one righteous like him. Now I'm going to wreck his life for 40 chapters. And God shook the man upside down on the basis of what? Insufficient revelation of who God was. running on empty. Number two, are you fillable? You've got to ready the vessel. Four or five years ago, I was preaching my sort of prophetic message for the year of wineskins. And a wineskin in, in antiquity was taken from what exactly what you would think, the skin of a dead animal. How disgusting. But it's how they moved wine or oil in antiquity. 
But it's an interesting thing about that wineskin is that that wineskin is at its point of maximum flexibility closest to the death of the animal from which it was taken. Now, it's a bit visceral, but it's just a fact. What am I saying? Your flexibility is directly related to your mortality, what you've been willing to die to. And that flexibility, then, is directly related to your capacity. Because the more flexible that skin, what? The more it can contain. This season of death that we, we've all been experiencing, guess what? It's been God increasing your capacity to receive more of him in this moment. You can't rely on someone else's oil any longer. Third point. For too long, people have been drafting in everybody else's oil. Oh, I love Pastor Ben's pulpit. He reads that Bible. He's going to seminary. He's smart, brother. I appreciate him reading his Bible every day for me. Let me tell you, it doesn't work. The same way that you had to get out of your tent and get your manna every morning, you can't rely on someone else's oil anymore. Five of those qualified virgins realized too late that they couldn't rely on someone else's oil. Pray for me. Prophesy to me. Believe for me. No. you got to get your own oil. And then recognizing what you have and releasing it. I've only got a little oil. You know, for, for you and me as believers to say, I don't have any oil. You know what it is? It's an indictment. It's an accusation against God. You know, in just a moment, we're going to receive communion. You know, none of us come to the communion table as it regards what this has done in terms of our relationship with Christ, how he's dealt with our unrighteousness. But you realize it's this same sacrifice that released the Holy Spirit. We don't think about that sometimes. Jesus said, unless I go, another's not coming behind me. Do you realize it required the death of Jesus for the Holy Spirit to be released to you and to me the way we can experience and enjoy today? And we say, well, you know, I, I, I don't have this spiritual gift like this person. Or I ex Let me just tell you, you've got a little oil because the Holy Spirit, the very third person of God, dwells on the inside of you. The only question is, what are you doing with it? Are you pouring out what you have? Or are you just saying, oh, well, I just got a little bit. I better hang on to it. Because let me tell you, as you begin to pour it out, what happens? The miracle of multiplication kicks in. And God just continues to come. I've prophesied over one or two people over the past 40 years. And you know why it keeps coming? Because I keep pouring it out. It's no more complicated than that. I'm not wildly gifted. I'm no different than you. It's just that I pour it out and God continues to resupply. Are, are, are you hearing something this morning? This is critical. And he told this dear woman, you can pay off your debts, but you can live on the rest. Do you realize that woman went from destitute to wealthy? Watch this. 
If someone says, you can live off the rest, you know what that means? You ain't going to a job anymore. You're not worried about money anymore. You can live on what's left. I don't know about you, I call that wealth. And in an instant of pouring out, what happens here? This woman, her life is completely transformed. Sitting in worship this morning, I was just struck by San Antonio is marked by what I call the gap. It's the gap between the haves and the have-nots. And it's marked in this city. It's big. And I believe that God is wanting to close that gap. And he's looking for people to be those that will bridge that gap. Naturally, pastorally, spiritually in this city. And I believe for churches, God's looking for multiple containers. And here it is. First is worship. How many of you know that God is attracted to worship? I mean, John 4 is Samaritan woman trying to have a theological discussion with Jesus about worship. But Jesus says the Father is looking for a certain type of worshiper. And we are in desperate need of a worship reformation in the church today because worship has devolved into a narcissistic telling of everything that God will do for me rather than true worship that goes up to heaven. God's looking for prayer. Why? Because prayer uniquely creates an empty vessel. Hear me. And I'm not, yes, Jesus taught his disciples to pray, but you want to really hear prayer? Father, not my will, but thy will be done. You see, prayer, I believe, when it's working properly, is not just working the I need, I need, I need. Prayer is when we voluntarily, before God himself does it, we empty ourselves of our plans, our expectations, everything, and say, God, your will in my life. That's a scary prayer, by the way. Number three is gathering containers. I don't know of a more beautiful picture of evangelism in the Old Testament than this one. And what's key, it wasn't just look in your cabinets. Boys, go in your room and see what you can find. It was the prophet said, go to your what? Neighbors. Get out of the house and go find empty containers. You live in a city full of empty Men, women, waiting for the life of God to be poured into. Guess what? That's on you and me in this moment. And lastly is giving. Giving. Acts the 10th chapter, we find a Gentile, Cornelius. And what's interesting is that the series of events that got Peter into the home of Cornelius... One of the events that got him there was Cornelius' intercession, but his giving. His giving to the poor. It went up as a memorial offering to God. And I believe that's one of those empty containers 
I'm trying to figure out this year how to give more. Not to try to manipulate God. I'm not talking about transactional here. But to find out, God, what can I do? How can I give in such a way that enlarges the container? So here's the question. Survival or revival? And ladies and gentlemen, there's not going to be much in between those two. I'm telling you. I don't believe things are going to get markedly better in the world. But I think those of us that are living in the outpouring of the revival, that what's going on out there won't make any difference in here as we get in that rain. How's your wineskin today? Are you freshly killed so that you might be newly resurrected? So that there is a flexibility now for God to pour himself into. Pray with me. Lord, help us hear something today by your spirit. Lord, help us adjust our expectations that they might be of you, not of us. And God, we just cry out to you for more of you this moment. Whether revival, renewal, awakening, whatever it might be. God, that this death we've experienced, this emptiness that maybe many of us came in here with this morning, that it might be divinely filled with you. God, do this by your spirit. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Let's give Pastor Jim a big hand this morning. <clears throat> if you would, stand with me and just uh, remain in an attitude and posture of worship. And So grateful for that word this morning. Grateful for, um, man, I'm glad I didn't miss it. Glad I didn't miss it. Um, just feel super encouraged.